Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, I'm Ollie Dugmore, and this is Unfiltered. My guest today is a comedian. The product of a Catholic childhood in Ireland, she then moved to America. She's also an author, and her memoir, Trouble, is equal parts tender, hilarious, and raw, dealing with her sex work, addiction, and father's death by suicide. My guest today is Maurice Gorn. Maurice, hello. How's it going? What an intro. Happy? That was the intro of my life. Yeah, I'm going to have that, you know, when you die. You want it on your tombstone? Yeah, yeah. Big tombstone, but yeah. 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 (laughs) We can put it in a small font. It'll fit on there. Yeah. Um, what have you been up to? How's things? Uh, good, sweating. Mitchum. Yeah, best deodorant in the biz. Always. Not even sponsored. I wonder, maybe if the simplest thing for you to explain, like a little bit of your backstory is, rather than me to sort of be like, what happened here, what happened there, is for you to sort of tell me what your memoir's about, Trouble, fantastic book. Tell me about, yeah, your life in your recent years. I find it so hard to describe the book because it's like about like quite intense subjects, but it's I don't think it's like an intense book. I think mm-hmm. it's like I'm not trying to give, you know, life lessons or anything. So I think it's like an entertaining book, but to give the elevator pitch it makes it sound really intense because it's about I guess it's suicide and sex, the two S's. Two favorite S's. Uh what? <laughs> 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 Like in a nutshell, if you're, how would you hear it as an animator, Rich? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much bang on. The the SS, yeah. Yeah, was there... Actually, as well, because that's got like a branding thing. Going. I know, but don't you need three? No, I think we're... Like, cocaine? Coke, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that is in the book. I was about to be like, I've never done cocaine. <laughs> how dare you? Yeah, But Maurice, you. I read your memoir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrote the book when I was like um, drinking, so... Loads of parts I don't remember writing. Yeah, and like I'll read it and I'm just like, this is not bad. I wish I remembered it. Um, what's his chops? Stephen King says that. Yeah, about... Uh, Carrie. Yeah. He doesn't remember it because he was just coked off his head. I know. All the time. It's... So interesting. Was it was it, me- was it method writing for you? Is that what you were channeling? Well, I, you know, Hemingway quote that Barney didn't really say where he's like, write drunk, edit sober. So I used to always say that. But then I started doing like, write drunk, edit drunk. Mm, that's good. Yeah, well, then you have an editor, though, because, like, a lot of time, yeah, they'll just take out the last bit you wrote, like, at the end of the day, where you'll be talking about, like, I don't know, I wrote some mental things, um, but, yeah, I I don't know, like, even in rehab, when they're like, alcohol is so bad, alcohol is the worst thing ever, I'm like, can we talk about the good things alcohol did? Because I did write a book drunk, like, I didn't start drinking every day because it was shit, nobody's addicted to fucking spinach, you know, there's, like, lots of good parts of it, too. Mm. Um, it's interesting that you don't feel a degree of, I don't know, um, bitterness. I've met other people who've sort of, you know, had addictions in the past and they're sort of are a little bit angry at themselves or maybe, I don't know, bitter about it. And you, and you seem to suggest there that there's a degree of, I don't know, you, that you enjoyed a part of it. Yeah. The bitterness is, I always think of, do you remember in Celebrity Big Brother when, um, my, Michael Barrymore and, um, 
George Calloway, what is that his name? Galloway. Galloway, the one licking out of the cut. That was wild. The cat, yeah. yeah the, that's one of those ones, like the the more you think about it, the crazier it is. Like, yeah. What was he doing? What's he up to anyway? So he said to Michael Barrett, who's an alcoholic, like, pour me, pour me, pour me another, which I guess is an expression, but like, alcoholics or it's like the poor me olympics mm. like in rehab i was anytime you bring up anything that's ever happened to you then everyone has to try and outdo each other and there is like quite i don't like i, do, I don't like that like poor me mentality but a lot of people have that of like um oh it's so hard for me because i'm an addict and no one else understands it and it's everyone else has life it's hard for everyone life is hard for everyone like shut up and just don't drink and I'm like sometimes I'm jealous that people can drink normally because I would love that I would look like I had I've had some of the best times drinking little buzz two drinks in or whatever have a nice night yeah or even like five drinks like any you know like it's summer that's fun in winter that's like there's to drink regularly I I would like to do that I just know I can't do that and like that's on me that's not on alcohol alcohol hasn't done anything wrong it's me that can't um process it like uh, some people say like they treat alcohol like it's um an allergy they're like it's an allergy for me the pe- people that are addicted to it it's like i can't process it so blaming like alcohol for it is like i find just a bit of a cop out it's like it takes some responsibility um mm. and i do i think like i don't know i'm the happiest i've ever been right now um being sober and i know that's from being sober um but it's also from like taking responsibility for my shit you know of like oh here's all the bad shit i've done and that's on me i can't blame alcohol for that um and there's there's some people in the programs that will say you know you can blame alcohol for everything when i got into rehab he was like everything that happened before here you can wipe wipe clean and i was like what if one when i wasn't drinking what if i did it doesn't matter everything and i was like that's sick i'll do that but it's kind of a crazy way of thinking too yeah big time yeah I don't know. Did I like? I kind of went in a roundabout there. No, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to you. I did it. Cha- you changed you, obviously, getting sober. And I will. Sorry, we will come back to sort of the early biography stuff. But I just want to en- enjoy this conversation a little bit further. Go further into it, which is you've you've changed your your relationship with yourself. I wonder if when you got sober, it changed your relationship with other people at all. Were there people who were kind of I don't know destructive to you or even just like your friends when you weren't going having a couple of pints maybe it changed your your dynamic a little bit yeah that was something that was like it didn't worry me but I was told it was a big worry in rehab of you know there's going to be a lot of people that you're going to have to cut out and there's going to be a lot of like fake they're fake they were fake friends your drinking buddies all this stuff of like I I had this idea that you know I was going to have to cut out a lot of people. People weren't going to support this. And that's what they drilled into me. And at one stage, like, I was like, I'm going to have to cut out my own mother if it comes to it, you know? Like, they had, <laughs> like, if she's not going to support this, I'm going to have to cut out mom. Mm. Um, and then I got out and, like, literally not one person has said shit. Everyone has been so supportive, even my, like, drinking friends that, you know, we're friends because like we went out drinking all the time once I got sober they're like that's amazing I'm really proud of you and yeah you should have stopped like that was so surprising to me that I was like people like why did I expect so bad maybe I'm just lucky in that everyone that um I'm friends with are nice but everyone was so nice Mm -hmm. and and also it surprised me too because I thought like oh other people for the beginning at least now I'm okay if people drink in front of me if it's a group I don't like it one-on-one but at the beginning I couldn't even be around alcohol at all and I knew that Mm. um and I thought people I was like there's no way other people will be comfortable with that because I know when I was drinking if I went out and someone said I don't drink and I don't really want you to drink when you're around me I'd have been like see you I have to drink like goodbye and everyone was fine with that um and it just made me realize, oh, it was just me that was drinking to excess. Like everyone else was like, I'm fine having a water. That's cool. Uh, so that was a really nice surprise as well. Because I, th- I thought that would be way more difficult. Loads of people do it without even me asking them to. I remember going on a first date like last year. And 
the girl just didn't drink and I was like you don't even know me like you don't have to do this like a first day is so awkward with stranger anyway mm. like you can totally drink and she's like no I won't drink like you're not drinking so I'll have a non-alcoholic beer too like that is people are fucking nice mm, yeah what a, what a surprise <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think people generally I think people are you know deep deep down like most people they they want to be kind they want to help and I think I don't know whether it's a product of the social media age we live in or if that feels like a cheap cop out to point it on where everyone kind of thinks that the people around them are horrible and abusive and in reality uh, the vast vast majority of people you meet they are kind hearted they are pleasant and they try to accommodate everyone they're around i always i always find that i always find that yeah there's so much more good in people than bad i totally agree yeah i totally agree right shall we um chat a little bit about your early life then yeah um i always think it's good to begin at the beginning so you grew up in dublin in the 1990s yeah catholic household yeah. Catholic mother. Yeah. Catholic school. Yeah, run Catholic. <laughs> run that shit, baby. Yeah. I um yeah, it was such a weird one growing up Catholic because you're you didn't know that, that there was any other option, but like God is used as like a real fear tactic when you're younger. Um like everything was like God's watching you, God's watching you. I remember like when I used to masturbate and I'd just be like, I'm so sorry, God. <laughs> You say it out loud. Yeah, and because my mom was like, God is watching every single thing you do. And then she used to add in people that were dead and people were always dying in Ireland. So I'd be like, in my head, it was God watching and like my granny, my cousin, like everyone was just watching dead. And I'll be like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> God was just used as like a little punishment all the time. For fuck's sake. So I like never, when I hear of people who are religious now, like mm. my boyfriend is quite Muslim. <laughs> that's the expression quite, quite. Muslim <laughs> but when he talks about God I'm just like what God were you raised in because like we're used to this terrifying God where his is all you know like God loves me and stuff I was like why is he <laughs> that's not the one we had yeah I had well I had shame I had guilt I didn't get uh, yeah I didn't get yeah. I never heard that God loves us <laughs> <laughs> Um. so how did that you mentioned you mentioned there in a joking way, but how how did how did religion inform your kind of your early conceptual conception of like sexuality and sex? Was it like I just said there, shame and guilt? What was the relationship between the two like? Yeah, I guess it's something like you don't realize until way later when you look at it because it's so normal when you grow up. Um, but Irish people, even now, there's so many people that have like are covered in shame with sex. Like some people like that can only have sex when they're drunk. Or when the lights are out. Um, so I feel like, I don't know, I was a very like horny child. Um, and it's in the book. And um, I felt like a lot of shame about that. Uh, because I felt like boys were allowed to have sexual desire. Whereas in girls, were, it was supposed to just be done to them. Mm. Like we were supposed to just, it's like, oh, there's the boy who wants to fuck me. Oh, I don't enjoy this, but oh, I guess I'll do it because I'm just a girl. And so the fact that I had those desires, like I felt really ashamed of that. Um, and I was always masturbating. Um, but I remember like even when I was 20 saying to friends that I didn't masturbate. Nobody admitted. I remember in college, yeah, we were having sex and still nobody was like, yeah, I finger myself, whatever. You know, it was that had like more shame than, to me than sex. Um, but I... I I, I remember saying when I was younger that I wasn't going to have sex till I was married. And my mum was like, well, maybe just wait until it's someone you love. And I was like, no, I'm not going to have sex. I went through like a religious stage, but it was all for attention. I went Protestant, which is like such a thing for attention. Because it was like the word, that's the word. My mum was like, anything but a Protestant, anything. And I was like, no, I believe. And I, like I made her drop me down to like Protestant mass every Sunday. Um, and she's like, the shame, the shame. She was so upset. Then when I told her... How old, how old were you at this time? It's like 15. Good. And I got a Bible. Mm, nice. And I used to read the Bible in school. Like, it was just all for attention. I would be reading my big Bible in school. And I was in old English. I didn't know what was going on. I tried to start from the beginning. And then there was some story where, like, a lot... I think he has sex with his daughters or something. I was like, Jesus, this is too much. But I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a Protestant. And I, like... Uh, to be fair, the Protestant mass is way better than Catholic. Way quicker. And the time I was there, they gave out, it was Easter and they gave out little Easter eggs. Mm. That doesn't happen in Catholic. So I love that. I used to meet with the, I know they're not, I'm saying the wrong words, whoever the Protestant priest and his wife was. Vicar, I think, yeah. Met with them a few times. Hanging yeah. 
Yeah, where I was like, let's talk shop. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about being Protestants together. Yeah, it's just fucking attention work. So I did that for about six months. Um, and that was when I was like, I'm not having sex till married, which it feels like more a Catholic thing than a um, Protestant thing. But that was around, remember like all the celebrities used to have their purity rings and I was mm. obsessed with America. So I think part of that was in it too, mm-hmm. um, where I was like, I'm not going to do it till I'm married. And then I just read that book, The God Delusion, which now I think is a stupid book too. But at the time I was like, whoa. So I was like, I'm an atheist now. My mum was like, thank God you're not Protestant anymore. <laughs> she would rather you were an atheist. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, in, in in the book, you describe feeling more of a, you, you're talking about your mum there, but you also describe a really deep, a, a deep and meaningful kinship with your father. Yeah, I was growing up, I was like very close to my dad um, and he was quite mentally ill but that was during a time that we didn't have those words for it so the only word we had was like mad or crazy Mm. so it was like oh that's just how dad is dad's mad dad's crazy Uh, whereas now I feel like you'd have 900 words um, for it so he um, got progressively worse but during my early childhood his like craziness was really fun because he was so unlike other parents like he was just you know He'd be like, want to skip school today and go, you know, for a salmon dinner. He was always bringing me to these really expensive dinners because he told me that, like, um, credit card is not real money. If you put on a credit card, he said it was magic money. And he said, you just put everything on your credit card. So he taught me when I was like 10. And I wonder why I'm bad at money now. He was like, credit cards are magic money. You put it on your credit card. You get a few credit cards. Then when you've got like 10 grand on each, you go and you negotiate and you say you'll only pay one grand. And they'll say, yeah. This, the man's a genius. Yeah, and I was like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so that was my, like, financial advice. Um, so he just he was always doing mad things. It was really fun as a kid. And he was an alcoholic, but he spent most of my life sober. He would just um, go, like, have drinking binges, like, every few years. So that was, that was like, more his identity alcoholic than, like, anything mental illness. Because we didn't even... Nobody, nobody talked about depression. Um in like the 90s or like early 2000s um it was just people were you know mad or they're not so um it was that to me that was just how my dad was um and we were very alike um in a lot of ways um and then he just slowly got worse and it's hard to like pinpoint in a person when they're like slowly losing their mind because they're still them mm. and it's not an injury that you can like point out um so he he got worse um and then in my i think it was like 14 we had like our big falling out where he attempted suicide after we had a fight and i felt it was blamed on me um because we had this big fight and i was like i fucking hate you like you're, he had started drinking again and i was like you're a cunt like everything i could think to say to hurt him i said and then he like tried to kill himself that night and called me into his room um, and had me like write out his will on a receipt, which was just the most ridiculous, like dramatic bullshit, which was classic my dad. But like, that's not binding, surely. <laughs> it was the back of a Tesco receipt. Yeah, I don't think it is legally binding. And also, I don't have this in the book, but like when I was writing out that will, he gave most to the dog. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I think he might have been just fucking with you. <laughs> yeah, like it. it <laughs> okay, come and write my will on this piece of paper. And by the way, everything's for the dog. No, dog. You, now get out. Yeah, it was. But also, he had nothing. Like, what? You're going to give your credit cards to the dog? Like, he didn't have any money either. So it was this big dramatic thing. Um, and like he had told me what he'd done, and then like the ambulance was called, and then the next day he. I like I, I was in school we we're doing our mocks and which is like the pre whatever and like I didn't know if he was dead or alive um and then the next night he came home stayed drinking so that was like that was the focus like he's drinking there's you can't talk to then he got sober and then it was just never mentioned and I had like so much anger in me but I didn't like to express that because I was 14 so that like fractured our relationship and it never got back um, to to where it was. Like it was, 
we made up um we were okay for a bit he started drinking again a couple of years later I stopped talking to him for like a year which we lived in like a tiny three-bedroom house like that takes a lot of effort to ignore someone when you know you're going by them on the landing um but then we did make up but it was still it was just it never it just never got back to the the way it was and I think in my head I just always assumed that day would come you know where we would have that big Hollywood moment of like he would realize how he'd hurt me um I could say my piece he'd say his piece there'd be like you know this big like would be crying you know you know all that shit um and it didn't come uh because there's not always time for that like people don't people can die before that comes which is a crazy thing to think of because you do just imagine like when a person dies like that they've reached like peak wisdom and every like they've they're on but like we could just die right now mm. and just die how we were um so yeah we we never got back um to the closeness that we that we were and I think I just always had this like barrier up with him from then um where I like treated him like I kept him at a distance um and looking back now I wish I didn't do that but I mean it's easy to say that now um where he he got very like mentally ill he he was always like like he he used to always make up that he had illnesses he would lie a lot about everything sometimes really fun and he'd make up he had illnesses but it, it was a time that was really fun because he said he had like diabetes and he said he had epilepsy but he used to get the two confused so he would and he would, he would always use it to get out of so like my brother came home one night he'd just been like in the police station he was like 14 he got in trouble my dad hated like punishing us so he had like an epileptic fit we didn't really have epilepsy but my brother was like we're like I thought it was real I was like oh my god what's happening my brother was like this has happened before and so he just got a snickers and stuck in his mouth and then dad was back to I was like that would be the diabetes not the epilepsy so you just got himself confused. It, the cure for epilepsy has been right under our neighbours this entire time. <laughs> in every corner shop around the country. How do we not fucking figure this out? So sniggering. So those ones are fun. But then he would say he had cancer. He didn't have cancer, but he used to like say he had cancer. But like the, the doctors couldn't detect it because it was a really like, I don't know, sneaky one. Mm. But like he would be like, sometimes he'd wear crutches. We didn't need the crutches. Like he would, he just... It, it just like slowly deteriorated so much and I mean towards the end the, I remember having a conversation with my mom where she was like I wonder if he has a brain tumour because he's so different right now mm. um, but it was it was a mental illness um, and yeah he died when I was 23 um, and even though now I do say like oh if I could do it again I would be kinder to him um, I would not be like so black and white but I think when you're a, a kid things are black and white to you so when your parent lets you down for the first time like or maybe this was just me but I, I treated him like a villain mm. because you don't know that people are people and we're good and bad and everyone's grey you think like there's good and there's bad and so when your parent lets you down you're like oh are you bad and so I, I definitely overly punished him and was like very harsh to him but me saying oh I'd have done things differently that's with the I was about to say the benefit of his death but that's what like the process of his death has got me to hear so maybe if I had another chance I I wouldn't have been because maybe it took his death for me to like gain more empathy for other people I'm not sure um I'm saying it like there is the option right now. You're like, you can go back and we have a time travel. Joe has built one. <laughs> Joe himself. <laughs> it's funny you should mention it behind the curtain. We're in Sandy right now. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, man. I, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it as this period, this process of reflection that you're having now and you've clearly thought about it a huge amount. And then the book, the sense that I almost got from it, at least in the immediate sense, was that that process was actually kind of slightly more a transferal of addiction, maybe a little bit of depression, that the, the, that the transfer instead of being sort of one of, you know, being able to step back from it and then look at the whole thing and how it's impacted you emotionally, it's almost like you were caught up in the storm of it, if that makes sense. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I was so destructive in my 20s. 
and I mean it's it's so obvious like my dad died and suddenly I'm attracted to old men like it's not rocket science but um yeah I was like wild in my 20s um and I did I just some I guess it depends like what mood you are when you like look back on things you do because you can like have like a few different angles and like why you did something um depending on like what day it is um but I know like I had depression from when I was 14 um and I I had a few good years in my early 20s and then I came back um and I had this weird philosophy that like because my dad committed suicide that's almost me like gives me a right to do it like it gives like a legit legitimacy to it um so I was like convinced I was going to kill myself like that was it wasn't 19 I was like 100% I will kill myself um and so I did like loads of mental things because I was like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what I do because I'm for sure going to kill myself so you know like the sleeping with the old man for money um I did that being like there's no concept I'm definitely won't be alive but I definitely won't write a book where I talk all about it so um I and I think like at the time I didn't realize this but like I think I did all this district like doing that doing like a lot of drugs because like it made me feel something like the old men like they made it made me feel like alive and during a time where I wanted to die so like it it was like an addiction like it, it gave me that same feeling whatever that like rushes um like when I would get money afterwards I would get that same um feeling and not to like condone having sex with money uh or for money but like out of all of them it's not the very worst because I'm like like a lot of them will kill you that one will kill unless you get like a bad guy there's so much in that I want to talk about so I might be like going backwards and forwards a little bit here but could you talk a bit more about that that feeling of um, getting the cash, getting it in your hands, and how it made you feel? Yeah, I was absolutely sick. What like, was the first 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 bit of cash you got? The first the first one was that guy who I never met who paid for me to go to Hawaii, and then he also just sent me a grand, um, and I never met him, so I was like, nice. Yeah. Um, so the first I can't remember because it, it like escalated, so it started with me like just dating older men and like they pay for everything and then you know it, then you'd be like oh will you buy me this handbag don't even wear handbags but like you know buy me this two grand handbag and then like you get a rush from that but then eventually like you have to keep pushing it and pushing it until you're like fucking strangers for money because mm-hmm. you don't get the same high from just like dating a guy that you're kind of into anyway and he's like will pay your rent sometimes so like it would it was um an escalation um but it was it was such a thrill like I I try and describe it and again like not condoning it I was in a bad mental place and now I'd never do it you know don't go out and do it but how I describe like going the sex for money versus like having sex not for money like sex now it's like eating a cornetto but like without the chocolate bit at the end like that's what the money was. It's not the main bit, but it's the best bit. Yeah, fuck me. It's like, so good. Like imagine, imagine you're having sex and then any sex, like good, bad, whatever. And afterwards, someone just handed you a grant. Yeah, it's like the the icing on top of the cake is. Yeah, you'd be absolutely flipping home. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was so fun, and I never felt like in any like I never felt a negative with the money, um, and even like. I'm very blessed, like, thank you, Lord, but I'm attracted to ugly men. So, like, genuinely. Well, not in your view, they're not ugly, right? Or, or do you think they're ugly? But oh, I know. I know. I, <laughs> I know, honey. I'm not blind. I can <laughs> see they're ugly, but, like, that does it for me. Right. Every so often, I'll go out with a guy that's not ugly, and I'm like, how did you slip through the cracks? <laughs> How'd you get in? Yeah. I, like, I will be, it. like, I am into ugly guys um so that like a lot of the guys I was into like a lot of them I would have had sex with anyway and wouldn't have told them that but I was like what the fuck do for free bro I've got a dead dad and I'm into ugly guys <laughs> you knew <laughs> um that's what I, yeah I was going to ask you that whether you like 
whether you're into it or not because I, I guess kind of the sort of definitely the way the media kind of portrays having sex for money is in, in like the mainstream I'm thinking of like I don't know Secret Diary of a Cool Girl or things like that you know those TV series you kind of think they picture it as this basically like a, a woman who understands that she can sell sex but she doesn't enjoy it and she kind of in varying shades and you know she gets the money and then she's kind of empowered and independent and I'm I'm really interested that from what you said there that you would you'd happy have slept with some of them without the cash yeah, I, like, but let's not go crazy. I wasn't enjoying this. Like, it wasn't okay, like a orgasm. Actually, <laughs> let's not go wild here. <laughs> actually, it was so, so like there was one guy that I was like was so into, and he looked like he was my age. He was twenty five, but he looked like Louis C K looks now. Like he he was twenty five Louis C K looking motherfucker. Yeah, he was bet. Like he was wrecked, and like Poor I was plug. so into him that I had to delete his number afterwards because I was like, I actually think I'll fall in love with this guy. Like I so so sometimes it was really good. most of the time it was just whatever. But um another skill I figured that I had was like I can't have sex with anyone. Mm. Like I can I just detach. Like it's I mean maybe not a skill. <laughs> Rap sounds a little bit like trauma. I don't know. <laughs> Is that a skill? <laughs> Isn't his thinking glass half full here? Yeah. I just like disassociate and I'm like totally not here, not present. <laughs> amazing cool <laughs> so this is back in this is before like trauma was a thing mm. this was 2014 so we didn't have yeah, fam- didn't- no one traumatized back then yeah famously <laughs> ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, so let's let's... Let's take it from perhaps being that kind of um, maybe not like the enjoyment side of the scale of things, but like complete other side of it, feeling unsafe, being put in danger. Very. I mean, there was like one or two cases, and what the one that's in the book, um, I knew, like I had a feeling, like I I knew there was that this was a bad unsafe situation, and I continued in it because I was in such a destruct, like I didn't care, and I almost wanted like bad things to happen to me all the time um but in general like I would say 99% were not dangerous they like a lot of them were like entitled and lonely and annoying um and all of them had an opinion on World War II like we get it (laughs) there's nothing left to say on World War II the thing about Operation Barbarossa (laughs) box we've got everything we know everything there is on world war ii um but it, one one time i went on a first date and i got a bad feeling of the guy he like grabbed my hand under the table and like pressed my wrist and he just kept pressing it and he, i was like what are you doing and he was like i want to see how much pain you can handle so i left that day um and i'd ordered like i always talk about it but i love wagyu beef so much and again this is back in 2014 no one was eating wagyu beef back then yeah sure like kings kings were yeah and you yeah me i ordered a steak and i left before he came so that really showed that like yeah i was like i've better a better that's weird the wrist thing is weird that's fucked up yeah so that one was and I got a gut feeling so I left um, and the only other bad gut feeling I had was I talk about it in the book and I purposely did not leave because I was in such like a bad head sometimes I feel like when you're like really depressed you want bad things to happen to you because then you have like an excuse to feel that way instead of just like I'm depressed and I don't know why 
I'm feel this way. If you have bad things happen, then it's like, well, look, this bad now. Is this okay. the one in Amsterdam where you yeah. go in the nuts? So yeah. I should, could you tell the story? Sorry for people who aren't familiar. Um, it was a guy like he had paid me, um, and we went up to his room, and it turned like a bit. But it was he said he was like could kill me. Um, which to be fair, every man can kill almost every like you guys are stronger, but like you don't need to be saying that mm. to us. So we all know it doesn't need to announce it. Yeah, I shouldn't love something. <laughs> It's a funny way of putting it, but it's not for me. So it was like nothing actually that bad happened. It was it was more like it was a bad experience and um that I knew was going to be bad. Like I had that good feeling. So um afterwards it was more of like why did I put myself in that position? Like why did I not leave when I saw alarm bells and felt that and it, w- it was less about him and more um, like why am I trying to seek this out like why do I almost want someone to hurt me um, and I and it was so then then I can say like I have been hurt not by myself by some so, something else um, but that that was just one experience like mo- most of them were um, a, a lot of them were really nice. Some of them were like fun. Like there's one guy that I still kind of talk to every now and again, and he'll be like, "Oh, the kids have gone to the college." And we're like, "Leia's gone to college. They grow up <laughs> so fast." <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, most so, most people uh, like most people are not bad, um, and um, uh, like besides that one kind of like scary experience, like the, the, honestly, the hardest part was like the conversation. Like the the having to sit across from them at dinner and listen to their opinions on everything, and you know, you just kind of. I mean, I was drinking then, so like you can kind of make it a bit of fun, but like that that was hard. Having to convince them that you're like into it or enjoying yourself, or yeah, yeah, which like I can do a lot, but like so many opinions on everything, and they do a lot. Like they think you've never had an opinion, so they think. They're, they think you're, they're making your life telling you this of like you're not going to believe this thank god you're sitting down but you know this is what I think of linen and it's like right okay like they think they're blowing your mind about yeah. everything you say and you have to be like oh m- no no are you going to buy me those shoes okay. <laughs> yeah that's fine okay I'll just yeah. do this for a bit, long, bit, 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 bit longer did it change your opinion of men this how I've always hated men. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, did it change? Did it change the way you saw men? Um, yeah. So it really like, even though I joke about it all the time, um, it de- it definitely damaged my view of sex because for a long time I did not view sex as like a loving thing. So um, once I like fell in love with someone, I'd be like, absolutely not having sex with you. Uh, so that created a lot of issues. <laughs> <laughs> can't imagine why yeah never wanted to have sex with someone I loved and I think yeah it I have I don't know I, I think it like comes back to my dad uh, not to be a cliche but um, I like and I don't agree with thinking this way but like a lot of times I find male vulnerability pathetic and I don't like, I know that's a wrong way to feel. That's like, it, that's just my natural, like when a guy cries, I get like, uh, I had this ex and his son was like really sick um, and he called the ambulance and he started crying, my ex. And I, I was standing, and he was telling me to call an ambulance and I was standing in the doorway and he started crying, saying like, daddy loves you. The son was like too old to be saying dad, like the son was in his twenties, but like obviously he was sick. It was like a, you know, emotional moment and I just stood there and I just remember thinking you're pathetic and I was like I know this is so bad I know but that's that's what came to like so I had an issue for a very long time with male vulnerability but um I've tossed in therapy um this is absolutely catnip for a therapist like I bet. yeah and she was like because the first time you saw male vulnerability like when you have a, a parent who's an alcoholic when you're the first time you see them vulnerable is going to be a bad state so like the first time I saw my dad vulnerable was him like pissing his pants shit faced um so I think I've always associated it with 
and I I was like five or something and I remember saying like I hate you I thought like I it, it had that reaction in me then so I think like it all ties to that um and so but I have like worked through it in heresy but I've I've had issues with that and um yeah I think for a while I like because you, you kind of see like the ugliness in people when you do things like that um but then there was a lot of good too like I like a lot well, of it's not black and white is yeah it? yeah so, so I'm not expecting you to be like yeah this was amazing or this was terrible it's it's just it's, there's nuance to it obviously obviously there is so you know I don't think I don't, there's yeah there's no there's no problem with that I'm was I going to say earlier on uh, in when you when you were first talking about sex and sexuality um sort of like as a younger person and you described sex as something that sort of like boys do to girls and the power dynamics of that struck me then and now and I think it's kind of interesting in this context where we're talking about when you were having sex for money how how did that when you're in LA, how did that change your view of sort of like power within sex, or did it reinforce what you thought before? Yeah, I've always been obsessed with like power moves. Like I, I think everyone's doing a power move every second of the day. That's the quote, isn't it? It's something like ev- every everything in the world is about everything in the world is about sex. Apart from sex, sex is about power. Or something. Really? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. That's a good one. I'll write it down. Yeah. Maybe you. I I made it. <laughs> up. It's me. It's it's Ollie Dugmore. TM. <laughs> but yeah I love I love I love like I'm just obsessed obsessed with power moves and I I'm very aware of like the power maybe I'm overly aware like and I think it's there sometimes when it's not but like I think women we're told we have all this power especially when it comes to sex we're told like you like women decide like it, women have all the power like a man you know will fall on their knees like it's it's women that hold the power and it's like that's just shit men have told us so that we think you know we're amazing but it's it's a man always has the power i i, I get like I've, i say i think i said now three times the men can kill us <laughs> but like it's it, <laughs> bomb down for a fourth <laughs> <laughs> but there's all there's always that like it's not a conscious thing, but like when uh, men, men are stronger than women physically, um, and that is always in my mind. I like maybe I maybe I need to get in therapy for that, but I'm always aware of that. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable. The story you just told, right, of being in that room in Amsterdam and and knowing that feeling of, I did you describe it as powerless in the book? I can't remember, but you you kind of you read I think the way you described it was about realizing that even though you were strong, sort of for yourself, that that compared to his strength was yeah. Because I kicked him in the balls, but he let me go, and I was like, I only got away because he let me go. Mm. Like if he wanted to, he could have killed me, mm. and like that that is always in my head of like, I just feel like the power that I know of, it's always meant. It's and like. And that's, I think it's because when I think of power, I'm thinking of like a very outdated idea because women obviously have power, but like in that kind of like classical sense, um, it's men that hold it. And I mean, now it's not something I think about or care about as much, but I used to be obsessed with this idea of just like taking some of it, just take it like in any way. And um, is that what it felt like when you were taking their money, that you were taking a bit of it? Yeah, not even like taking the money, but like sometimes I would just do things to like, in my head humiliate them or like be disrespectful like I'd order my Wagyu steak and I'd you know it's so expensive it, it's per ounce and I'd leave two ounces on the table and I'd like I'd be like giving the finger but not really like I was doing all this like bullshit to be like <laughs> in my head of like this is you know being like even even ones that there was men that were like you're only seeing me right and they would give me more money for that and it's like then I'd purposely have sex at another one like that day or something like it was it was this weird way of thinking where I was like I must take some of their power and that's not taking anyone's fucking power doing that but um I don't know I I think like now I don't think of any of that stuff at all and like I live a way nicer life (laughs) (laughs) it's far more chill I was very chill like I'm not into I don't think of power I you know I'm going out with someone who's my age which is um my mom is bloody delighted um he's actually two years younger than me which is i'm like you don't know how crazy this is yeah. is and just like 
there is that more like equal feeling um of like because I get I think I liked that in my 20s that it was like so obvious with older men of like look at this power imbalance like it was I didn't have to go searching um because in my way of thinking then was like when you go searching you're gonna find raw everywhere everything's bad everyone is bad the whole world is bad because uh, that's just how I thought um so it's like at least I can see with these guys where their bad is I can it's not gonna come up and like guerrilla warfare me um but now I'm happy, so I don't think that. Yep, yep. Um, I, I want to. I have a couple more questions about power, but just you, you what met... do you think of as a man? What's your take what, on power? In what way? All of them. <laughs> um, I don't. It's difficult to talk about because I think you can very quickly fall into a trap of basically describing what has been like a quite negative stereotype. Of masculinity so you know what what are the first things you reach for provider protector um you know someone who's disciplined someone who is just and you're basically just describing like you know the patriarch that has yeah that has existed in society and in families for a really long time and that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as it as long as in your definition you don't preclude women from being able to be those things i think I, if you were to try and say what is like the divine masculine then i guess it's it's sort of those things and with those things there is like power inherent in them right if you're going to talk about protecting your family or your friends or your community um i guess the thing that's tied up in all of it is about how how you use that power yeah all right i think that's the really important part it's the it's the it's the responsibility it's like you ha by being I don't know, let's say physically strong, not not mentally strong, like literally in, in the way you're talking where you are able to physically dominate another person. Within that, there is a huge responsibility that when you're out in the pub, you're not like starting fights and, and killing people in the street. You're not taking girls home and having sex with them without their consent. You have a, uh, there's a responsibility on you that even though you have that power to not exploit it against other people. Um, and I think I'm completely like ad-libbing here, so this might just sound like horseshit, but I think I think it's kind of beholden on us. I think if you start, if you, if, if you um, I think the reason why someone like Andrew Tate, for example, has this like hold over men is because he kind of, he's, he, he tells them the truth that they are powerful, like in that sense, and then tells them, no one can dull your light. Like you are who you are. Don't let, don't let the fucking feminists, don't let them, let them dress you up as a girl, you know, all this tra transgender ideology. And, the first part I think is true. Like you should recognize the things that are true about men. It's the second part where the problem, where the problem is, where it starts becoming like deeply misogynistic, where it starts becoming like really problematic. And actually it's having that knowing what's right, knowing the right thing to do and then being responsible enough to do it, I think is, is where we fall off a little bit. I think that's where it is. That is really, I really like that. Cause I was like, how are you going to answer this? Because as a man, I was like, if you, can't, if you pretend there is no power, I was like, that will be annoying. And then if you're just like, you know, yeah, we're fucking power. But your answer was, I was like, how is he going to get out of this? And like, your answer, I thought that was really good about the responsibility thing. Do you, yeah. I need, do you think I get out of it? I don't know. Yeah, it's... Like, I'm not going to get out of it. I sound like I'm trying to trick you. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. It's, it's, it's really difficult because, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how... How instructive it is to kind of pretend that the stuff you're talking about it, it's it's so visceral when you're when you're talking about it because it's literally happened to you do you know what i mean you've been in those situations where you've felt powerless and, and and we keep talking about this moment in amsterdam right it is dark so we don't need to keep talking about it but the the fact that the reason you got away was because he let you like that is really heavy yeah yeah and i think that like weighed on me for well maybe not for that long because it's on to whatever next fucked up thing I was doing at the time but it, it's that realisation yeah. let's go <laughs> it's that realisation that I think every woman has um, a lot of um, like he let me go there like that 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 feel and it's like a terrifying feeling I, I understand why people almost want to pretend it doesn't exist because it's it, it's scary to 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 acknowledge that 
Um, but then when you don't acknowledge it, then you have the, 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 the people like Andrew Tate who can rise up by saying like what begins with like a correct thing, but then you like attach all this horrible evilness to it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's because there's like that vacuum because people are like, no, everything's equal. Everyone's e- it's all it's all good. And then when you're in a real life situation where you like feel that if you've gone not your whole life, but if you've gone like a, a long time being like, I'm powerful and I'm I have just as much, you know, strength as this person. And then when it's like just taken from you like so quick like that, you don't really know what to do or where to look. And you're just like, shit, shit, this this could happen anytime. Mm. Like this can um I think the important thing for me is equal equal value. I think that's really important. Like the equal value that every human being has. But we are different. It, yeah, it's 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 it makes no sense to me to say we are all the same because it's just it's just objective. You know, it's not true. I can't I can't carry a baby in my stomach. For, yeah, you know, well, you can't carry a baby in your stomach either. It's it's in your womb, but you know what I mean. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> you know I was what like, I mean? what do you know about me? <laughs> I was but, like, oh my god, that'd be so dark. No, no. Um, but like, we have differences, and it and it's just I think this if you if you tell if you deny those things that are patently true. Then that then it's really easy for there to be a counterculture where someone will come along and point it out, and then he's got this, and and then it slides into that sort of really dark misogyny. Yeah, um, yeah. So the question I was going to ask you um, was about like empowerment, like whether what what you were doing in LA, whether it was, I guess there's two sides to this: whether you felt empowered at the time, and then looking back on it now whether you still feel the same way yeah no and no okay. um so I, I feel like I'm on neither side because I feel like with sex work there's like two quite vocal sides of like sex work is work and um you know it's all totally normal and there should be no stigma and it's empowering and then there's the ones that are like sex work is rape and mm-hmm. uh, you know there's no agency from the woman and I and this is just my personal opinion and my personal experience with it. But like, I'm not on either of those sides um, because I think it, for me, it it was not, it was my choice to do it. I could have not done it. it I was not forced into it. Um, I made the active decision to do that. Um, maybe I didn't understand the consequences of it. Maybe like I was in a bad head, whatever. Like I chose to do that and I find it annoying when I see things online saying that women don't have that choice and that it's, you know, in there are times when they don't, that is horrific, but that is not the case for everybody. And so when I read someone telling me that my experience was not my choice, that annoys me because I'm like, yes, it was. It might not have been the right choice. And other people, it was still my choice to do it. Um, and there are so many different, with sex work, they're like, there are pe- people that are trafficked. That's horrific, but that is not the same as what I was doing. Um, so to equate them all the same, or that's probably the wrong word to equate, but to put them on the same, to me, doesn't really make sense. But then the people that say sex work is just work and it's empowering and it's this, maybe for them, um, for me, that was not the case. Um, it was, it was not empowering. It was a thing I did um, that made me feel like alive it was fun it was um I think I did though to be destructive and to like get like a high and it did like as much as I say like oh it was great and you know most of them are great and stuff it changed how I viewed sex and that has been a really difficult thing to try and overcome and I don't think I'm fully there of and it's taken like a lot of therapy like it's been an issue in like relationships and that I'm like that wouldn't be happening if I worked in Tesco like it's not the same it's not just regular work like there is consequences to it when you do something like that that you might not feel at the time and could come way later um and it's not the worst consequences that like it's not something where I'm you know like oh this is the most horrific thing but it's something that like I have to deal with and I would prefer not to deal with I would prefer if like I'm in love with someone to be like, take your pants off because I want to do this. And that was not the case for years. That was not like that. I, 
it's taken like a, a lot of work for me to like try and reprogram my brain to viewing sex as like a thing you do with someone you love um so yeah i i would not call it empowering at all no mm. can we talk about the logistics of it a little bit not the yeah uh, but like, like my uber came so like, <laughs> <laughs> when a mummy and a daddy love each other very much no um like the tr- like the transaction yeah like the actual like getting paid like mm-hmm. how before after um Every man is different. I one guy gave me a check. I was like, who the fuck is still writing checks? He was old as shit. He was like 70. But he wrote me a check. I was like, what am I supposed to do a check, man? What's that sex with a 70-year-old man like? Are you like worried about possibly killing him or maybe not 70, maybe a bit older, but No, that never crossed my well, we're in LA as well, so like people do look good for their age, it's still what's good for 70, 60, still old. Um that guy was so he'd taken I he'd taken lines of Viagra. He didn't tell me that, but I knew it because I was like you should not be lasting this long um <laughs> so he gave because a lot because a lot of time, it was different with each one a lot of times you had to do a little dance because they would be like this is not about the money right because you had to like pretend it's not like a transactional thing and that's why they would like give you maybe more than it would cost like a, an escort or a pos- prostitute you would get like more money but then you have to like buy into the lies that it's not about the money and right. it's just you like their company and they just so happen to um give you money so some of them like there was one guy i didn't get anything from him for like six months and then um i had college tuition to pay not <laughs> and so he gave me like 20 grand so i got like but that that was a long that was that's a long play yeah yeah whatever <laughs> is that is that a sporting or whatever <laughs> that, that was a or like a, in stocks that would be like a yeah, nasa yeah, yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah yeah but then some of them especially once i got in like maybe six months into it and you get more like confident and also like you want more of like a risk so some i'd be like straight up front like i want x mate i would vary all the time sometimes it would just vary on my mood or like what i think i could get like I've had sex with some guys for like five hundred dollars. I think was maybe the le- the least. Yeah, for like a one time. Like, um, they would give it afterwards. I think that was another thing. Now that I'm thinking, now that you've asked me that, I'm like, oh, it was always afterwards. And I think that's probably another little mind thing they had in their head of like, oh, because escorts get a beforehand, then it's not escorting. But it was always after. I had one guy who I would see him all the t- not all the time, like every few weeks, and he'd give me an envelope afterwards. And it was always different amounts every time. And I was like, "Is this performance based?" <laughs> like, no, they didn't ask. I never brought it up. There's a bonus on top. There's flat fee and then there's a little yeah, bonus. Yeah, like he. Pe- one time I got fifteen hundred. One time I got nine hundred. And I was like, "Wow, that's a bit of a, that's a big discrepancy." I mean, but still, like, it's still good. And like for whenever in our resort, well. I had no idea what he'd put in and like some guys would pay like a monthly amount so those guys like if they'd pay me a monthly amount then I then it would be like a game of cat and mouse that month where I'd do like everything to try and not see them for the month um like my dad died a lot during that time <laughs> I was like you're not gonna believe this back to Ireland <laughs> yeah he's only gonna die again <laughs> yeah. he's only gonna die again sorry oh I told you already tell me sorry about that you said you said um you said in one of those answers there that you were uh like an hour's work so could you would you would you see multiple men like in a day just like no no it wasn't really an hour not because really, like you'd go go for dinner and shit LA's a big place too like an hour to get there you go out for dinner I would never spend the night because I can't sleep next to someone like that but um no it would not be an hour I know actually one guy was an hour I was so into him I wanted it longer um it's <laughs> always how it goes <laughs> <laughs> the one that got away yeah um but I was like I was um I'm sure if like if that was your focus of like I want to make money you could like right. make fuckloads but I was, I'm a lazy person in general. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm not going to be doing a lot of it. Um, and also I was, you know, getting fucked up and like doing, you know, I was doing other, I had other hobbies. <laughs> and like all the money I got, I just spent immediately. It's not like I was saving it or like, like doing anything productive with the money. 
surprising when you lessons <laughs> lessons in financial uh, responsibility where the credit cards are the magic money. Who can like, see that happening? Yeah, I find new magic money. <laughs> Did they um? they ever ask you to do like mad stuff or was it literally like almost like girlfriend they were looking for companionship it was like let's go for dinner and then yeah well companionship and sex none of them were just that's another like myth that like you'll see on those tv shows they'll be like the one guy going for not one guy has ever they'll have him in a wheelchair or something and then just because he's in a wheelchair he's looking for companionship no one is looking then they'll go hang out with their mates like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a stupid thing they put in tv shows about it um, but um, n- no, no one is ever really into anything. Weird. One guy was like, "Will you pee on me?" Um, so I did that. Um, How much? Five hundred dollars, but no sex. It was just peeing on. But I more did it because I was like, "I've never done it. I'll do it once." Um, and we're in a hotel room, and so he, but he was like, "Oh, um, I just want it on my chest." But I had drank like loads of what, loads of wine. Because I was like, I don't know if I can do this, and then loads of water because I didn't want my pee to be yellow. I didn't want to be like pee shamed, so I like I was bursting, and so I was like squatting over him, and I started peeing, and it went on for so long, and like I felt I felt so much power, like I was like this must be what men feel all the time, and then I was like I can do what I want, and I angled up and I peed in his face. Yeah. <laughs> what did he say? At that he was point? like ah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he was basically waterboarding. He was like ah. <laughs> And then afterwards, he just got in the shower and he didn't bring it up, but he didn't see me again. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't going to do that regular. I was peeing on someone all the time, like just a treat. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I, I don't know. It feels it feels too on the nose to be like uh, that. There was kind of like a bit of typical male female like role reversal in that situation, and that's why he kind of felt like I don't know, not ashamed, but like can almost bring it up. Couldn't even say I asked you not to do that, but yeah. Although if your thing has been peed on, it's like I would assume like you're into shame. You're probably quite into it. Yeah. yeah so maybe he was like, yes, still coming. Just... Yeah. Maybe it was reverse psychology. He was like, oh, please don't <laughs> piss on my face. I would hate that. No. Oh my god. If I got tricked. Oh. <laughs> I mean, throughout this conversation, we're talking about some like really dark, heavy stuff, and. We're still laughing about it, right? And yeah. it's the same with Trouble, your book. It it deals with some really heavy subject matter. What well, first of all, how are you able to find the humor in this stuff? But then secondly, how important do you think it is as well? Um I think really important. Um and I don't know. I'm like I don't know if it's like a family thing or an Irish thing, but like people have always made jokes about everything and um i think it's so nice i think it's like such a i think it's such like a cute way that human beings deal with stuff like they like something really awful will happen and they'll make a j- that's adorable i think that's so cute uh I, like when my dad died like I, I remember the first joke we made and it was like that we found out like that evening and that night by the time we're back in my mom's house um i can't remember who said it and Maybe it was me, maybe it was my brother, but so my dad died by drowning and then we're like picking funeral music and someone was like, will we play Bridge Over Troubled Water? And it was like the first joke. Someone, and like, that's me. I don't know. I think that's like, I think it's so cute that we deal with like horrible things through laughter. And when people say like, oh, you shouldn't joke about that. I'm like, it's adorable to like, we don't find it funny. Like, I've had people before say, oh, like, you're joking about suicide. Suicide is not funny. And it's like, obviously, suicide is not funny. I'm not like, ha, 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 ha. Like, it's trying to find a joke to laugh when you're going through something really hard. And, like, that that first laugh you get when something really bad happens, because, like, there's a part of your brain that's like, okay, that's it. My life has changed. I'll never do, like, I'll never laugh again. I'll never. And when you get that first laugh, it's like, I don't it like hits you it's like your first like roller coaster or something where like it just feels so good of like oh my god everything like will be okay like I can still laugh like the world keeps turning um so I really like um making jokes about um hard stuff I, I try and be like more respectful now that like other people don't like it and so I try and only do it to like my own experiences and I understand when people um maybe get offended by that or because maybe they've gone through something similar and they think you're laughing about that and like so I understand when people 
don't like that but for me um I love it and I think it's such a nice like way that we've figured out as human beings to like get through something yeah I like it do you like dark humor I mean yeah you've sat here and laughed at my pain (laughs) I've been I've been giggling away as you poured your heart out yeah so (laughs) I think yeah I probably do quite like dark humor um Maurice go on thank you so hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Much taking the time. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, man. Cheers. Thank you.